morning. This morning, I could say Merry Christmas now with uh, Thanksgiving in the rearview mirror. So Merry Christmas to everyone. And if you are new to uh, worshiping with us this morning, we're so thankful that you're here. Or if you're tuning in online for the first time, we're glad that you're worshiping Christ with us today. And it's a good time for you to come because we're starting this new series that you just saw called Fear Not. Uh, that's so crucial for our culture and our time right now because there's a lot of anxiety, right? I mean, just watching that video, some of you are getting tense, right? It just breeds anxiety in us. And what we're going to see is there's moments in history, four, that we're going to see over the next several weeks that God speaks to his people and he says, do not be afraid or fear not. He comes to a group of shepherds who seem to be forgotten about and he brings good news to them and tells them to fear not. He comes to Joseph who thinks, my life really can't get any worse than it is right now. I don't know which direction to go forward. I don't even know if there's a way to go forward. And God speaks to him and says, fear not. And Mary hears this, uh, this invitation from God and her heart fills with hopelessness. Like how in the world is this impossible? How is this going to happen? And God speaks to her too and says, fear not. But today we're going to look at a couple Zechariah and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I hope you do. Go ahead and make your way to Luke chapter 1. And if you are new to church in general, again, thank you so much for being here. And if you don't have a Bible, out in our Welcome Center, there's a, a rack that spins and there's Bibles on there. We'd love for you to have one. That's a gift for free. Take that with you and read it through this Christmas season. And uh, Luke chapter 1 is uh, it's fascinating. It starts to... Um, to the Christmas story. So we're going to unpack Luke chapter 1 today. Let's read it starting in verse 5. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he, that's Zechariah, was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn hearts of fathers to their children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. And after angels told Zechariah this truth, in verse 18 he responds and he says, Zechariah says to the angel, how, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man, my wife is advanced in years. I just want to pause right there for a second. 
Guys, this is important for us to understand that the Bible sometimes describes what's happening. It's not prescribing. It's not telling us to do this. And this is one of those moments that's describing this. Any husbands in the room, don't call your wife advanced in years, okay? <laughs> that's what he does here, though. He says, I'm old, and my wife, she's advanced in years. Verse 19. And the angel, described, uh, the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in that time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah. And they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. He kept making signs to them and remained in mute. When the time of his service has ended, he went to his home. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for Christmas. It's a reminder uh, that we so desperately need. It's a reminder that you have not forgotten us, but instead you are with us. Emmanuel. And so, Lord, I ask today for those who are fearful Please give us peace. For those of us who are anxious, expand their trust and their faith in you. For Lord, we confess we believe, but help us with our unbeliefs. Lord, help us with our doubts and our fears today. And let me just invite you in just a moment of silence to pray and bring some of those cares, those anxieties, those fears before the Lord right now. Would you just pray and Cast those cares on the Lord. Pray right now. God, just take a moment to pray for me. That I would serve you well as I share God's word today. that you would comfort us today, that you would convict us, that you would challenge us through your word and through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, church family, I have a confession, and uh, this has happened for two years now, but i got to make a confession before you. Uh, two years ago, before Thanksgiving, we prepared for Christmas, and uh, we did it again this year. We put out all our Christmas decorations. All the lights up, the stockings out. We did it before Thanksgiving. And I know some of y'all died inside when I said that, but because I know that because we were a part of that. My wife and I were a part of those people that were like, you can't put up decorations before Thanksgiving. You can't do that, right? Um, and so some of you right now have heard me say that, and you're thinking, we've got a fine and elderly church. Like, we can't, we can't do this. And, uh, and others of you are like, yes, come, come to the dark side. It's great to enjoy Christmas decorations for longer. I had somebody last hour, true story, I had somebody last hour tell me they set up right after Halloween. And so maybe you're in that camp, right? It's not even like Thanksgiving, it's Halloween. But for my family, for years, we, we had a kind of rule in place, you cannot decorate for Christmas until kind of that Friday after Thanksgiving. You cannot listen to Christmas music until we're going from lunch Thanksgiving to dinner Thanksgiving. And then in between that time, like we can listen to Christmas music, right? To prepare ourselves for Christmas. 
And the reason why I say that today is because this passage in Luke is preparing for Christmas. It's preparing for the birth of Christ. Some of y'all, when I read this passage, you're like, wait a second. I thought this was going to say like this birth of Jesus, but you're talking about this birth of John. Like what, what is this all about? Well, what's fascinating is in the Gospel of Luke, this is where Luke starts. He doesn't start with a baby in a manger. What he starts with is brokenness and suffering. He starts with the pain of a couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth, that though they're godly, are barren. And they can't have kids. And there's suffering that they have in their lives. And this is where Luke starts the Christmas story. And in the midst of their suffering and the pain of Zachariah and Elizabeth, God's like, I'm preparing for Christ. I'm preparing for the coming of Christ. And so that's what I, we're going to unpack today as we see this. Now, you got to remember, if you take a zoom back, not just looking at Luke, but if you take a zoom back at history and what's going on in this moment, God has not spoken to his people for 400 years. 400 years. Malachi was the last time that God had made a promise to his people. So for 400 years, God have been, God's people have been waiting for him to keep that promise, to fulfill that promise. So 400 years, four generations have gone by and have not seen the fulfillment of that promise. They continue to see the brokenness of the world they live in and the suffering that they're in right now. And that's where Luke starts. It's been silence for a long time, but God was not sleeping on something. He was moving and active. And that's what I want us to see in this passage today. Church family, do not fear. Do not fear. God may be silent, but he is not sleeping. God may be silent, but he is not sleeping. They're wondering, God, do you hear us? Are you moving? Are you, you listening to our prayers that we call out to you? And you have Zachariah and Elizabeth praying to the Lord in this moment. Now, these two main characters are important for us to understand a little bit about them. And it thankfully does that for us in this text. But it tells us that Zechariah was a priest. And he was a part of a certain division of priests. Now, there were 24 divisions of priests, 300 pe people in each of those divisions. And when you start doing the math, what that means is what he gets to do with going into the temple and praying before the Lord was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. See, each division only got to serve in the temple twice a year. Twice a year outside of the big festivals that they would have. And there was a law at that time that if you got to go in and pray before the Lord and pray to the Lord on behalf of the people, you got to do that only once in your lifetime. So this moment for Zechariah, he's, it's a big moment. He's been serving the Lord for years. It says he's advanced in age and he's been faithful to serve the Lord year after year after year. And then this moment right here is the pinnacle where he gets to go into the temple and pray to the Lord. So he's a, he's a godly man. But also his wife was a godly wife, it tells us. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. What does that mean, from the daughters of Aaron? Well, if you go back and you read in the Old Testament, the first priest was Aaron. And so when it says he's from the, she's from the daughters of Aaron, it means that she very likely could have been a PK. She was a, she's a priest's kid, right? Or she would at least have had uncles or brothers who served as priests in the temple. Like, she knew this world. She had a godly family around them. She served the Lord in, in her life to glorify the Lord. And so you look at these two people, and these are like 
model people, like people that you'd want as like your next door neighbors. Because they didn't just come from godly families or work godly jobs. They practiced what they preached. In verse 6, it says they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. That doesn't mean that they were sinless. What that means is when they saw that they broke God's word, they would repent and turn from it. Or when they struggled with disbelief, they would exchange it for trust and faith. And so they practiced what they preached. They're a godly people. And yet, this is important. Don't miss what verse 7 says. Because verse 6 says they were godly, righteous people. And verse 7 says, but they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren. And both were unmarried. You see, this couple is in a broken world. And the sin and brokenness of this world is impacting them. But yeah, well, they're godly, right? Like, so only good stuff should happen to them. They're following the Lord, they're loving the Lord, their family is a godly family. And yet, because they live in a broken world, that brokenness is spilled on them as well. And so they're living for the Lord, they're loving the Lord, and yet they have no child because she is barren. For some of us, we're following the Lord and then we're like, why is all this brokenness in the world happening? And why are all these bad things happening in my life? And if we're not careful, we'll start to believe that there's this karma in the world. And so if I put good in, then I get good out. And, and we're living in this karma mentality instead of living in the grace of God. That every good and perfect gift comes from God above. And everything that we get, we truly don't deserve. But it's through His grace that we get it. And in this moment, you look at a family who's a godly family, and yet they're suffering. It's not their, it's not their sin that caused this to happen. It's just the brokenness of this world. And for us, we read it, and some of us might be able to relate to them because we weren't able to have kids or we've had miscarriages. But there's a deeper heart issue that's going on in verse 7 when it says this. They had no child, and she was barren. You see, we think that's sad. They couldn't expand their family. But for them, they're thinking, we have no retirement, zero retirement. Because what you would do at that time is you would have family that would care for you. So you would have kids, and as you aged and grew old and advanced in years, your kids would care for you. They didn't have 401K. They didn't have a government that had Social Security that would help people. And so at this time, if you didn't have kids, there was a lot of fear that would come up in your heart. A lot of fear. And in this moment, it's telling you, there's fear in their life. They, they wish they had a kid. They didn't. And here they are advanced in years, and they're wondering if it's going to be enough. Just a couple of weeks ago, it was interesting, I was talking to somebody about their struggle to trust the Lord with their finances. And they're in that retirement age, and literally they're like, I can tell you this because you're a pastor, but all of my passwords are, will it be enough? Will it be enough? And this lady's living in, in fear, will it be enough? And God in this passage wants us to see we've got to trust Him. We've got to trust him. When, when we think he's silent and absent, God is still moving and he's working. And so with their pain and with their suffering and with their fears, they come and they pray to God. And that's what God wants you to do. He wants you to bring your fears to him, your worries, your cares, your concerns, and lay it at his feet. Pray to him. And that's what Zechariah and Elizabeth do. And God answers their prayers. He answers their prayers. 
And he answers it by sending an angel to talk to them, verse 13 says. The angel came and said to him, first, do not be afraid. Why does he not need to be afraid? Why do, why do we not need to be afraid? He tells us right here. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. God hears us. He's not sleeping. He's moving. He's active. That's who our God is. So some of you have had anxiety and worry and fear, and you've prayed to the Lord, and some of you have even stopped praying because you're like, I don't even know if God hears me. So you're just living in your anxiety and your fear, and God says, no, 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 no. Pray. Pray. I hear. And, and we, don't, we don't know what he prayed. It doesn't tell us, it's not recorded in the Bible what Zechariah prayed to the Lord, but we know that he did pray to him. We don't know how many years he prayed, but he's advanced in years. And so they had to have been year after year after year praying for this fear of his heart. We don't know how many tears he cried as he prayed to the Lord. We don't know the details of all this, but we do know he was faithful to pray to God. And God responds saying, your prayer has been heard. Some of you that wonder if God is just absent, silent, not moving, you need to hear this truth today, that God is working. And he's working in some of the deepest suffering and pain that you have in your life. See, that's one of the things that's amazing about Scripture is that God, time and time again, moves in the midst of suffering and pain. He moves in the midst of individual people's prayers. This family, like Zachariah and Elizabeth, praying to have a kid, God moved in amazing ways to prepare the way for the Christ, to prepare the way for Christmas through their prayers. But this is, like I said, this is all throughout Scripture. You go back to the book of 1 Samuel, chapters 1 and 2. Hannah's there, and she's praying, I wish I could have a kid. God, would you please bless me with a child? And God hears her prayers, answers her prayers, and she has a child named Samuel. And Samuel helps to anoint the first king, and he actually anoints King David, who would be the, in the lineage of Christ, the coming king. Literally, God takes one woman's pain and suffering and he shapes a whole kingdom by it. He shapes a whole, whole, whole redemptive plan by this one lady's prayer for a child. And this is what God does. Think about Joseph in the Bible. He was falsely accused. He was thrown into prison. And you know he had been praying to the Lord like, I am stuck here for years. And in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his suffering, God's working. God's not absent. He's not sleeping. He's working in Joseph's life. Why? For something greater than even Joseph can see in that moment. God ends up bringing him out of that prison, puts him second in command over Egypt. Why? To prepare a whole nation for a seven-year famine. You've got to think that Joseph was not sitting in jail thinking, man, I'm really here in this moment of suffering and pain so that I can help a whole nation. No, but in his individual life, he is suffering and he's praying to God and God answers those prayers. The Apostle Paul. Think about the pain and the suffering that happened in his life. And yet it was through the pain and the suffering and being thrown in prisons that he, he wrote much of the New Testament that we read. 
So his pain and his suffering that he was able to go from city to city to help start churches, that the, the gospel would go forth to, to the entire empire of Rome and ultimately to us. You see, so often what we do is we look at our lives and we're thinking our pain and our suffering doesn't matter to God and doesn't matter to anybody else. Many times God is working and doing greater things than we can even imagine with our individual lives. And so two points of application for this, church. My prayer is that we would grow in prayer space. Grow in prayer. And two ways I want us to do that is, one, never think your prayers are too small or unimportant. Never think your prayers are too small or unimportant. Today you, you hear this and you've been praying for something small or seemingly small in your life, and God has wanted to answer that prayer. Some of you have had heavy and extremely difficult things, but you're like, it's personal, so nobody else really cares. God cares. Some of you have heard there's no cure for your illness. Pray. Some of you, you, you continue to get a, a negative test for your pregnancy test over and over again. Some of you continue to pray for a job and you cannot find a job. You've tried time and time again and you're almost to the point where you're like, I'm just tired of praying and I'm tired of asking God to move because he's just not moving. God is hearing your prayers. Continue to grow. Don't think that your prayers are insignificant or small or that God does not hear them. God does hear them. We see that all throughout Scripture. So let's secondly remember God's character hasn't changed. God's character hasn't changed. 2,000 years ago, when this moment happened in history, the same God that heard his prayer hears your prayers. The same God that heard Hannah's prayer thousands of years earlier hears our prayers. The same God who loves and rescues and redeems the people of Israel loves and is willing to rescue us if we would trust and believe in him. This is the same God. His character has not changed. And so when we sit here and we're crushed by our anxiety, when we're guilt-ridden by our sin, the same God that is born as a baby in a manger here to seek and to save that which was lost, hears our prayers to save us from our sin, to save us from our depression and our suffering and our pain. That's one of the most beautiful things about Christmas. The birth of Christ is like an evening bell that chimes to let us know that this is the final hour of our sin and our suffering. When we look to Christ, we see he's born and he lives and he dies and defeats death and is risen again. This lets us know that our pain and our suffering one day in this world will end. The sin that we bear of things that we've done wrong through the life and the, the death of Christ, it is wiped away if we would trust and believe in him. His character of love and justice and mercy and grace has not changed in all of history. So church, let's cling to that truth and that hope as we look at this passage today. This is the same God that we pray to that hears our prayers to save us and redeem us as well as to bless us even with something like this that he did for Zechariah and Elizabeth. God is still moving Second, do not fear, for God remembers and keeps his promises. God doesn't just hear our prayers when we pray to him, but we don't need to fear because God remembers and he keeps his promises. 
I think it's fascinating what God does here. He's been silent as far as speaking for 400 years. And then the first time he speaks and comes to somebody, his name is Zechariah. And there's multiple people with the name Zechariah in the Bible, but I don't think it's an accident that God comes and speaks this word of encouragement, this word of good news to a man whose name means the Lord has remembered. The Lord has remembered. And when it says the Lord has remembered here, it's not that God has forgotten. Like God's up there and he's like, oh yeah, I forgot all about that. Yeah, yeah, I guess I'll do that now. No, remember, God's not sleeping. He's still working. But he's working in new and fresh ways in this moment as John comes on the scene and prepares the way for Christ, the Messiah who would redeem all who would trust and believe in him. So, so when it says God remembers, it's just he's working in new ways. He's doing amazing things because he keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. Now, now what promises is he talking about here? Well, look at verse 17 again in the Bible. I'm going to read it for us again because it's important. There's many that God makes throughout Scripture, but verse 17 is interesting. He speaks of this child that would be born, and he says he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared for him. As Gabriel the angel is standing here and he's telling Zechariah what's going to happen, what he's doing is he is quoting a promise from God. He's like, I've remembered and I have not forgotten to move. I'm continuing to move to fulfill a promise that I gave 400 years ago. And it's at the end of the book of Malachi. Listen to this and it will be on the screen as well. Malachi chapter 4 says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And then he's going to quote verse 17 here in Luke, right? And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. See, what the angel is doing in this moment with Zechariah, the Lord remembers, is he's leaning in and he's like, now Zechariah, your job is to study the word of God? Yeah, yeah. Remember, remember Malachi chapter 4? Yeah. Your child that you prayed for just because you, you wanted a child will be a child that comes in the spirit of Elijah, one that prepares the way for Jesus, the one that's going to preach repentance so that people's hearts are turned to look to the one that can forgive them of their sin. He's like, yeah, that promise that God gave, God is answering your prayer and fulfilling that promise at the same time. Because our God keeps his promises. Our God remembers in amazing ways. Now, it's humorous what the response is. The angel just quoted scripture that Zechariah would have known and memorized. And Zechariah's response is one of disbelief and doubt. In verse 18, he's like, how? You're saying we're going to have a child? How in the world are you going to do that? I'm old and my wife is advanced in years. Basically what he says is, okay, Gabriel, you need to hold on for a second because I don't know if you know this, but my wife's biological clock stopped. It's non-existent anymore. I mean, what, what's going to happen to Elizabeth? Are you saying she's going to kind of hobble up to the hospital or ride her little rascal up there and talk to the lady at the desk and say, hey, I'm, I'm here to, uh, to, to go to the prenatal area. 
And the lady behind the desk would look at Elizabeth and be like, oh, you're here for your grandchild. No, I'm pregnant. I'm going to have a child. And that lady behind the desk would be like, okay, we need a psych ward. This lady's crazy. There's no way this can happen. And that's what's going on in this moment in the heart of Zechariah. He's like, wait, what? And his disbelief in the promises of God was disintegrated. I don't know if we always think about it like that, but disbelief is sin. It's a transgression before God. And in this moment, this priest who has studied the Word of God, who knows the Word of God, can't believe it. There's no way that this can happen. He cannot see beyond his age in this moment. It's a sad moment. But it's a moment that applies to us so well, and this is why. Our hearts are bent to doubt the promises of God. And our world will actually call you a fool if you believe in God's promises. You're a fool. You think that, like, this, this Jesus can die and forgive you of your guilt? No way. You're telling me that Jesus is going to come back again? It's been 2,000 years. There's no way. You're telling me that somebody can actually be raised from the dead. There's no way. And the world will look at us and call us fools for not for believing in the promises of God. And God, on the other hand, will say, you're a fool if you don't believe the promises of God. If you don't believe these to be true, the one who spoke everything to existence will always keep his word, then you're a fool. And that's a sin of disbelief that you have to flee from. And church family, there is a temptation for us in a culture. You've got to make a decision. You do. Are you going to follow the ways of the world and doubt the promises of God? Or are you going to expand your faith and trust in the promises of God? Even when you're thinking, that's impossible. How in the world can that happen? And don't, don't miss this. Don't miss what's happening in this moment. Don't, remember, don't, don't miss who it is that's speaking this. Because some of us are sitting here thinking, man, I've been in church for years. Like, I'm good. My faith is deep. My faith is wide. Like, it's deeply rooted. Like, I'm... I'm good. I don't struggle with any of this. So did Zachariah. And he had given his whole life to serve the church and serve the people. He had memorized God's word. And yet when God came to him, telling him, I want you to take a step of faith and believe in this area. Zachariah's like, I, I can't do that. He knows he's memorized the promises of God, and yet he struggles to trust the promises of God. He struggles to trust that God will provide if I am generous. He struggles to trust that God will actually do what he said to give a child in this moment because he can't see past his age. He's struggling. And so what God says is, okay, Zechariah, we've heard enough for you. Let's hit the pause button right now, okay? So he cannot speak for the nine months that his wife is pregnant. He can't speak. And some of us, we need that. We need to just hit a pause button in our life, right? Put the tablets away, turn the TV off, and just be silent before the Lord. Because that's what happens in this moment. He's silent for nine months. And it just leaves him there being still before the Lord, thinking about his disbelief. And what God does in that moment is he grows Zachariah's faith. Some of you need to be silent before the Lord and bring your doubts and your disbeliefs before him and pray to him and 
what he does when you do that is he will expand your faith. And we know that because if maybe you turn one page in your Bible, but the, the end of Luke chapter 1, Zechariah, after his child is born, finally gets to speak for the first time after being silent for nine months. And this is what he says in verse 68 of Luke chapter 1. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has redeemed and visited his people. And he has raised up the horn of salvation for us in the house of a servant, David. And the reason why I, I, I punctuate has both times is because his faith has taken a leap forward. Where he used to think there's no way this could happen, now he's like, not only do I believe it can happen, I'm going to say it like it's already happened. <laughs> he's like, hey, you know what? The, the Christ has come. He's visited and redeemed his people. Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet. Jesus hasn't rose from the grave yet. He hasn't done it. But he's like, no, 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 no. I believe you now. I believe you. What I think is impossible, now I trust and believe in you. You've raised up the horn of salvation. You have brought the Messiah to save us from our sins and our broken world. He believes and he speaks about it in past tense, even though it hasn't even happened yet. God grew his faith in this moment of silence. And church family, what I desire for us to do is to expand our faith this Christmas the same way. May this Christmas be a different Christmas for us. May we look back and remember Christmas 2021 where we took a step of faith that we thought was impossible. Where we trusted in the promises of God like we never thought we could before. May we do that. May we expand our faith this Christmas in two ways. May we expand our faith beyond our age. Beyond our age. That's what Zechariah couldn't do. His faith was only in his ability and his age. And God calls him to believe beyond his age. And the reason why this is so important is because Zechariah thinks there's no way that God can bring life to a barren womb. There's no way that God can bring life to my wife because she's advanced in age. The reality is if you struggle with that part of the story, that an aged woman could have life again in her womb, then there's going to be a lot of struggle in your heart and doubt and disbelief that a man would die on the cross and go into the grave, cease from breathing, and be brought back to life again. See, our God is the God of life, and that's what he does. He can bring life in a womb. At the same time, he can bring life to a dead man. This is what the power of our God is. And so we have to see far beyond our age because we look at the power and the might of Christ. And if Christ can defeat death and bring himself back to life, Anything is possible. Anything. How deeply do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? It shapes everything. It changes the world. That's why we gather to worship. That's why we're here. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so when we doubt and we disbelieve, let's go back and look at the power and the might of God to bring life. And so some of you think, I'm just too old to do anything for the Lord. And I believe even with like Zachariah and Elizabeth, some of the greatest things that they would do for the kingdom of God were in their advanced years. And God wants to do that with you. And you might think, Ryan, I'm so exhausted. You don't know how tired I am. I'm sure you are. But whatever strength God gives you, would you spend it for him? Would you pour it out for him? Whatever strength that God gives you, would you use it for his glory? Now, on the opposite extreme, some of you are thinking, I'm not too old, but I'm too young. I'm too young to do anything. You can't see past your age with being too young. 
God throughout all scripture continues to use young people over and over and over again. He challenges them, stop saying you're too young and take steps of faith for me. In the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4, this is what the verse says. It says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech and in conduct and in love and in faith and in purity. Years ago, when I was a youth pastor, I took my youth through this passage. And each week, we just stopped on one of these. God's calling us as youth, us as students, to step out in faith. And so let's do it in our speech, the things we talk about. Let's do it in our conduct, the way that we live. Let's do it in our love for God and for others. Let's do it in our faith, the things that we do and step out in faith in. And in our purity. God is calling the young and the old both to live and to glorify Him. And students, listen to me carefully. God does not, or not, not God, people in your school, in your family, in your life, they don't need you to look just like the world. You're listening to culture, you're trying to be just like culture, that's not what our world needs. We live in a, in a broken world that needs a redeemer. We need a rescuer. And so look different. Look different in your, your, your language, your speech. Look different in how you live and spend your time. Look different in how you love and care for people. Look different in your faith and in your purity. What your school needs and what your friends need is for you to look like Christ and to point them to Christ. The one that can give them a hope and peace. The one that would accept them in the, in the midst of their sin and love them enough to change them. God desires to use you. So don't think you're too young to be used for the glory of God. And secondly, have faith that spans beyond your ability. Maybe it's not your age. You're like, I'm that kind of ripe age where I could serve, but I just don't have the ability. I don't have the ability to, to speak well. I don't have the ability to, to make an argumentative conversation, to, to lead somebody to, to the Lord. I, I don't have the ability financially to serve and to give to other people. I can't do that. And so you look at your ability and you can't see past yourself. Your faith is in yourself. It's not in the Lord. You're like, I have enough faith to do what I can do. But what God is calling you to do is take a step of faith out, doing something that you think is impossible. There's no way that I can do that. And God says, yeah, that's exactly where I want you to be. Because I can use you for my glory. Our faith is is a gift that we bring to the Lord. Hebrews chapter 11 even tells us that God loves faith, and even that he rewards faith. So church family, let's let's expand our faith. Let 2021 Christmas be a a milestone for our life that changed the way that we live and how we look in our faith expanding this year. Not our fear, but our faith expanding. Church, I get the, the privilege to celebrate with you today and how you guys as a church family have been taking steps of faith and expanding your faith for the Lord. And it's been amazing to see what God has done in 2021 where we've had numerous families join our, our church, where we've had numerous people take steps of faith to trust in Jesus Christ to forgive them of their sins. We've had close to 70 people take steps of faith with their finances to partner with ministry and mission at West Cabarrus Church. Like, that's, that's faith to trust God in those different areas. And this morning we get the privilege to, to celebrate with three different groups of people within our church family who have taken steps of faith for Jesus this year. 
first is Josh Rollins. He's going to make his way to be baptized. And if you have not met Josh yet, an amazing story. Uh, just a few months ago, Josh came to know the Lord. And um, talking to Josh earlier, he was just telling me a little bit of the story. He was excited to tell me about the story. But Josh like, I, I was living in a lot of selfishness. And I had made a lot of bad decisions in my life. But he said, I thought back and I remember that church was one of those places that still brought peace in my life, even though I wasn't a Christian. And so he started to come to church here and went to a small group. And um, it was at the beginning of the First Thessalonians series where we were talking about faith, hope, and love. And as he went to that small group that night, um, I heard people as a group just talk about this. It, God gripped his heart and changed him. And so uh, according to Josh's words, it's kind of funny. He's like, I didn't want to break down and, and, and cry right there in front of their house because someone might call the police on me. So on the drive home, I was thinking about it and talking to my wife about it. And we got to the house and I knelt there in my driveway and I prayed and repented of my selfishness and asked that God would save me. And uh, it's just, the story could go on and on. But Josh has been growing in his faith since then. And it's been amazing to see how God saved him and changed him. So this morning as a church, we get to celebrate that, what Josh is doing as he's baptized here. This does not make him more saved. He already is saved. It's him saying, I believe in the death going into the water, into the tomb, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ was enough to forgive me of my sins, and I want to run to him. And we as a church family, we clap and we applaud back. Why? Because we're saying we agree with what he's done, and we agree with the message that Christ has died and rose from the grave to save us. And so we get to celebrate that this morning. Charlie, take it away, buddy. So Josh, have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Then based on your public profession of faith, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Some of you, that might be your step of faith this year is to follow Christ and believing in him and then believer's baptism. We had two baptisms um, in the first service as well, Roger and Sue, which was amazing to see them taking that step of faith to trust in the Lord. And so maybe that's what God's calling you to do today is to believe in him, to trust in him and allow him to forgive you of your sins, give you life now, but also for all of eternity. And for others of you, you've been coming here for a while, you know Jesus, you followed him in baptism, but maybe your step of faith to expand this year is to commit to be a partner with us in ministry and mission at Westgate Edge Church. We exist to glorify God by making more and better disciples from neighborhoods to nations. And we've got several families this morning, you'll see on the video here, that are taking that step of faith to partner with us in ministry and mission. So watch this video real quick. of spreading the gospel from neighborhoods to nations. Hey church family, my name is Emma and I'm excited to join West Bears Church as we go from neighborhoods to nations. Hey, I'm Max. I'm Savannah. And this is Noah. And we're the Chandler family. And we're excited to partner with West Bears. As we go from neighborhoods to nations. Hi, I'm Johnny and this is Frida and we're the McGinnises and we're excited to be a part of the West Bears Church family uh, where we can worship the Lord glorify the name of Jesus Christ, taking the message of Christ 
from neighborhoods to nations. What he said. So we're seeing God save and change lives for his glory, um, which is fantastic. We're seeing people take steps of faith to partner with our church. But also we got um, uh, two college students that are up here right now uh, that are taking a step of faith, expanding their faith to go on a midterm mission trip. So Caleb and Taylor are taking a step of faith, different countries uh, around the world, but they're hopping over the pond uh, to serve Jesus and to share the gospel, to take it from neighborhoods to nations. And so this morning as a church, uh, I would challenge you to even take a step of faith. Maybe you take a step of faith to say, I'm going to get my passport this year because sometime in 2022, I'm going to go to a, to a place to share the gospel or to help a church get started that they don't have the gospel there. Maybe that's your step of faith to expand this year. But for them, they're doing this uh, soon, over the next couple of months, which would be great. And God is doing amazing things. And so we want to pray for them. We as a church have supported them a little bit already, but we want to continue to support them in finances and in prayer. So they'll even be out uh, down front after service if you want to come and just talk with them. Uh, let, let them know you'll be praying for them or if you want to support them financially. We're grateful for their step of faith to go and tell people who don't know about Jesus the good news of Jesus. So we want to pray for you guys this morning. Father, thank you that you sent Christ because you knew we needed salvation. And God, I thank you so much that we can look to you, the ultimate, ultimate example of leaving your home and your comfort and your security to go, to go to a broken and hurting world that we could be saved. And I thank you for Taylor and Caleb as they go to different nations around the world to share the good news of Jesus. Lord, I know that you're going to do great things through them. You've already been doing amazing things in their lives, and we just pray that you would do more of that. Equip them and pave the way that they could share the good news to those who have no hope. God, help them to take this good news of Christmas to those who are doubting and Jesus is risen. Lord, use them in amazing ways. And I pray for us as a church that we would remember to pray for them, that we would support them, that we would care for them. Because God, I pray that we too would model that example as we go to our neighbors in your kingdom and your name. In Christ's name, amen. Give them a round of applause, please. If you're not sure what that step of faith is, you're still kind of questioning that, God's working on your heart or your mind, then after service, we have a next steps area out here in our welcome center. Um, one of the TVs that says next step, uh, David, our host pastor, will be there. But after service, we'd love to talk with you. Or I'll be down front. I'd love to answer any questions and just pray for you as you take those steps of faith for the Lord. Some of us right now, one of your biggest steps of faith is just to sing to the Lord. You think that singing is for everybody else? Um, but God is calling you to make a new song for him today. So would you take the step of faith to sing to Jesus now and stand?